What's up? I'm Dr. J, and welcome to Don't Be Scared, the podcast. Now, on today's episode, I had a chance to interview Dr. Carol Taylor. Now, I met Dr. Taylor at LSU um, in graduate school. Shout out to the Tigers, you know what I'm saying? We killing them uh, this year, hopefully, you know what I'm saying? Keep it going. But, uh, you know, while I was out there in graduate school, um, I met Dr. Taylor, and she was our acting chair at the time. She was a great, wonderful person. She was definitely trying to switch it up uh, in her role as chair. And uh, the students and everybody there saw it. Um, So it was a pleasure, you know, to really sit down and talk to her during this episode. Um, So if you are interested in academia at all, this is your episode because we had a chance to just go over her life as a professor, right? To talk about what she does on a day to day. Um, but as well, talk about her role as chair when she was over the chemistry department. Now she's retired, and um, we even get a chance to dive in into that life as well. So if you're interested in academia, if you want to pursue that career path, this is your episode. All right, let's get into the episode. For those who do not know um, Dr. Taylor, how can you describe yourself to somebody uh, right now, as far as just a, a quick introduction of yourself? Um, I'm a New Zealander. I'm an organic chemist. I spent 35 years doing chemistry and a couple of years I did a very brave thing. I retired early and moved home to New Zealand where I'm pretending to be a farmer. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. I did not know the farmer, you was doing that right now. How's that been? Well, it's great. I mean, this is the land where my parents and my grandparents were. So it's, um, in fact, I looked up a word for you. The New Zealand native people, the Maori, call it the tangata whenua. And it's hard to explain what that means, but I looked it up. It means the people and the land and the connection between them. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm close to my tangata whenua, is what they would say. And that's wow. how I feel, yeah. Close to that's my so... people and my land, yeah. Wow. So, okay, so let, let's just start off with um, where, where you were born, right? So you're over in a totally different country. I guess I'm curious because there's a, I'm assuming there's a culture difference between America, okay. right? Okay. And you know, where you are now. <laughs> Um, just, just can you can you just explain some of the differences that you've seen overall? I'm I was born in a in a small town called Pukakoi, which is another Maori word. It means hill of the koi koi bush, mm-hmm. um, and it's a rural area. At least it was. It's changed a lot since since I was a kid. Um, something I'm very proud of, and that. Um, I was forced to tell people a few times during my years in the US, New Zealand was the first country in the world to give women the right to vote. And so I knew, I just, I grow, I consider myself a human being, a scientist, a daughter, a sister, you know, all of those things before I would say I'm a woman because it really didn't matter growing up here. You know, I felt like we were on very equal footing. And I've just finished reading a book. I, I read all sorts of stuff, but um, our race relations here are better than most places. But again, you know, there's this stuff there that the history books don't tell you about, <laughs> at yeah. least not at this stage, right? 
Um, so, but it, it feels like a much more equitable um, and di naturally diverse place than, you know, the US. Um, there's this quirky little language differences. Um, I was talking to a neighbor the other day and I told him I was going to plant more, more trees in the fall. And he just looked at me and laughed because of course it's autumn. You know, there's all sorts of, all sorts of little difference as, and I guess all the years I spent in the States, it is, it's hard to be 8,000 miles from home where you grew mm -hmm. up, where your family is, where people understand you. Yeah. It, yeah. I think that that's, that's, yeah, that's the, the differences that I can think of. It's not home, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And and then I guess, so you grew up there, and then over time, um, how, how did you ultimately decide to go from there and then go those 8,000 miles across the sea to the United States? What made you ultimately decide to come over here? We've only got 40 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the summer of 1986-87, because summer is December, January, February here, I had an undergraduate research experience, right? And I know that's key to a lot of people's careers, but it was a really, really unusual thing back in those days. And I worked with an American professor, a guy called Harold Hine from Bucknell University in Pennsylvania, and he invited me to come back to the States to spend a summer at Bucknell. And I did. And and a lot of the rest of its history, you know, I went to the University of Pennsylvania and did my doctorate. I came back to New Zealand for 12 years from the mid 90s until 2006. And then I guess I felt, and again, you can look back on things and think you'd have done things differently, but you know, mm -hmm you do what you think's right at the time and you you don't regret it if you know that it was the right thing to do at the time i felt scientifically frustrated in new zealand it is a small country right and you know and so the incestuousness of science and um, review processes and you know it's just a very small community and i guess i missed the larger scale um experience that i'd had in the states as a as a grad student and a postdoc so i went back for a sabbatical at the end of 2005 and really i was i i, I found the job at lsu and you know another chapter of history opened up <laughs> yeah yeah and okay okay and um all right so definitely you got your start at, in grad school up east and then you went a couple of different places um what i guess over time did you looking back right in your career did you enjoy graduate school because i'm still fresh i'm still fresh i just i just graduated you know three years so i'm just curious on your take on it did you overall enjoy your experience while you were in graduate school you know that they're going to be war stories for life right the hard work and the dedication but i don't know whether you can see this already that's 35 years ago for me right and i some of my best friends come from that time you know we we worked really hard together we fought battles you know we were united against our boss yeah <laughs> um you know they they were tough times but they were 
you you do get past and see them as very character building and they make you who you who you who you go forward into your career as so there were things we enjoyed about it but it was it was hard work that's that's what grad school is right and it's about learning to be a scientist and your own way of doing it and figuring out what you want to do next so enjoys yeah it gets better with the roast tinted glasses i have a very good friend who used to say philadelphia is going to look good in the rear vision mirror <laughs> yeah. yeah so and, and, and with that and, and being in graduate school i guess what was the if you could remember what was a moment that you distinctly remembered that kind of impacted your your take on moving forward right what do you remember a key time that decided okay this is what i want my career to look like or or what was that moment for you no i don't particularly have a, a turning point um i guess what i i slowly realized was that i'd come too far to do anything else than be a professor in my own mind i'd seen what you could do i i I have always, I think I'm a natural born teacher. Um, mm -hmm. I told my cousin a few days that I think I finally got over that. <laughs> I used to round up my, my siblings and my cousins and teach them on Sundays. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they were reminding me of that, but that's okay. Um, I like teaching. I like research. I, I'm always, I think looking for the next challenge and being a professor there's there's always something new right it just felt like i would be doing less than i was capable of if i didn't follow that career path as a faculty member i'd probably always have regrets hmm. yeah it was more of a, a slow slow creeping up on me that there was really nothing else i could do one of my phd advisors used to say it's the only game in town oh yeah. wow yeah so yeah. and and this is like it's like a you know so many things that we could do once we're finished but it's like we always hear the two things industry or academia mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and i guess i'm wondering okay so you you always feel like the a natural born teacher is that ultimately the main thing that made you want to pursue that or or was it or was it a, a take to where it's like you wasn't in, interested in industry at all if that makes sense well more coincidences i had a boyfriend at the time who was a new zealander in philadelphia right and he had a job in industry and you know so i knew him and a lot of his friends and they had a good life and they earned good money and stuff maybe also my other phd advisor said to me once and i think it's part of um the freedom of being able to follow your own research ideas rather than an industry you're following what what the company needs you to do and your project can just be axed right if it's not going in the right direction or it's not economically feasible mm -hmm. and you know you look back and you think well academia is not a whole lot different right if you don't get the grant it's hard to do the work um but i think it was it was it was the idea of of freedom to be able to explore your own ideas on some level 
and and one of my PhD advisors, who Ralph Hirschman, had had a long career in industry at Merck before he became a professor. So he really knew both sides of the coin, and I think he helped me realize that you know that he thinks you know that I would I just I belonged. I was more of a professor than an industrial chemist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a good yeah. mentor. No, yeah. no, you know. And that's and I'm glad that you bring in the mentors up um, because they can be so impactful, you know, navigating in our career space as far as where we're trying to go. Um, and you mentioned a couple mentors. Um, what what do you have anything as far as a, as you were being mentored by these people? Did that impact you when you became a f- professor? Right. Did you have a need to become a mentor or did that naturally happen? How, how was that for you? Uh, I think that- mentoring is a very now I'm got you a very organic thing. Right. You know, when new professors would start at LSU, we would assign them a, a mentoring committee. But I think the best mentoring relationships are something that happens spontaneously that aren't assigned, you know, you find people that you can relate to who are a few steps ahead of you in their career and you you talk to them and you, you know, um, it's good it's good when organizations have a formal structure to keep an eye on you and to help you out. But you should never restrict your mentors to those people who have been chosen for you. There's there's other good people out there that you can talk to. Um, and sometimes, you know, those mentors aren't the best people. Um, but I always felt like no one is, no one else has my personality, right? I'm going to take the things from different people that I've worked with and for along the way, but I've got to do this in a way that's true to me and my personality. And, Mm -hmm. but certainly there were times when you would be faced with a difficult situation and you would think, now, how would Ralph, for example, handle this, right? Mm -hmm. What would he do if he was still here and I could call him? What would he say? Um, and you know, then you reach a point too, where you, you don't actually have to call that person because you know what they would say and you're gradually becoming more confident in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right with that confidence piece. Um, cause I feel like over time, even with myself, there's times where it just takes me a while to get comfortable at to actually have that confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when you were. Okay, so after you graduated and your first couple years as a professor, so you graduated, then you went back to New Zealand, right? Uh, Then I did a postdoc at Princeton for about 15 months. Yeah. 15 months. Okay. And then after that, you're back home. And then what was those first couple years like? Um, what, what What did you experience, you know, those first couple years compared to after your time there, what what did you notice about those first couple of years? Well, it was the department where I'd been an undergraduate, right, at the University okay. of Auckland. I had been an undergraduate and a master's student there not that long ago, seven years ago, but mm-hmm. earlier, right? And so I still felt like a lot of my colleagues still treated me like a student. Mm-hmm. I felt like a naughty little girl at faculty meetings. <laughs> And the other thing, I think you also feel like you, your grad students aren't that much younger than you, right? And and so it's, you know, you 
you, you have a lot in common with them. You want to be their friend, but you also kind of have to be the boss. So I think when you're younger, you struggle more with that. But in terms of confidence, I think that's what gives it to you on some level is because you have these people who are younger than you or less experienced with you and they're seeking advice from you. What are you going to do? Run away? (laughs) Right? You've got to develop some confidence to try and help other people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you're you're exactly right because once you have that confidence, then you, you you feel comfortable to actually explain that. Um. And, and how was that? Because I'm curious as far as your time, because I, when I met you, I met you at LSU and then I saw that department um, with those professors was as being a woman during that time. What what have you noticed over uh, just over the years? Right. As far as representation goes, because um, those first couple of years, were you the only woman in your department or were there multiple women there? No, there were multiple women there, you know, right down from in New Zealand, we call it a lecturer. It's like an assistant professor, right? Yeah. There were there was even a very senior female full professor who was who was a good mentor to me. Um, and that comes back again to there being it wasn't 50 50. Right. But but just coming back to New Zealand being a more gender equity, you know, this, it it. It's a bit more balanced. And at LSU, there were there were a decent number of us, seven and 35. Um, mm-hmm. And again, we, we went through the ranks, you know, from new people right up to, you know, very senior people. Um, so, but did I see a change over the years? Yes, I think so. I mean, maybe when I started, you know, I became a, a, a faculty member in 1995 and... So that you had to be fairly confident and assertive to do that back in those days, I think. Whereas I think a lot more people see it within their grasp and there's better support mechanisms now. You know, young people may think that they're they're struggling, but I think things have got better. Things have got better. It used to be much more sink or swim. Oh, man. And that so... uh... I'm glad to hear that too, because you know we only know what we know um, yeah. during our time. Uh, and, and you mentioned that seek or swim moment. Um, what was a time where you felt like you were, you know, sinking, but something that you had to realize you had to do, right, to get out that situation? Did you have an experience during your time? Um, most days there's little experiences like that, right? One of the things I was going to say, you know, if you want a career where you know what you're going to do every day and you like routines, being a researcher or a professor is not one of them, right? Um, certainly, well, when you knew me, I was chair of the department, right? And I think, that was a that was a big thing for me to do. You know, I did it because I felt like I knew too much not to. I, mm. I cared about the young people that I'd helped encourage to join the department. I cared about the students. I felt like I could make a difference. Um, but whether I was going to be able to do that or not, um, you know, it was it was tough. It was it was daunting. And there were some um, experiences and challenges in that time that I will never be allowed to talk about. Oh, no, no, I totally get it. 
That's all he understands. Yes, and it's like all you can do is is do the best you can at the time to do what's right for everyone, and yeah, there's big challenges. Yeah. Um, what are what are some strategies that, um, or even coping mechanisms that you have to you know get through those times? Because um, as you said, it, it's a different day always. And especially when you got into your chair position, now you have to balance all these personalities and everything like mm -hmm. that. Um, how did you get through it? Uh <laughs> I think a sense of humor is important. Mm. Um, I have, all, I, I was a faculty member in three different departments over the years, and I like to say that it's like a Shakespearean play. It's the same parts, but different actors. Mm. And I used to say, we're not sure whether it's a comedy or a tragedy yet. <laughs> so, I mean, a sense of humor, having some good people around you within that organization or department that you can count on to talk things through with, um, to rely on, to, to share some of the burden. Um, and just and try not to rush into, don't let people push you into making decisions quickly. Mm. Um, sometimes you you just got to make a snap decision and you can't consult widely. But whenever you can, try to take some, insist on some time to to reflect, do a bit of homework, and make the best informed decision that you can. Yeah. Don't procrastinate, but just don't um, don't react impulsively. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 No. Exactly. Um, and, and no, yeah, because you don't want to make decisions that could harm you later on, right? Um, or other people, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, some, some faculty member might come to you and say, you know, I really need more lab space. I need this. I need that. And because they're putting pressure on you, you might give in. But then you have to sit back. You need to look at what the allocations are, where you might be able to catch some space. Would it be fair to other people? Are you are you going against the bylaws and doing something exceptional to help this person? You know, mm -hmm. you can't be pressured or intimidated into doing something that isn't going to be equitable or fair to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, so um, when it came to uh, equity, as far as um, just in general, when it when it comes to, uh, I guess I'm trying to ask, what what did you experience in your time in your different roles? As far as did you feel like there was enough equity for everyone to have, or was there times where you felt like um, one person kind of had all the power or something? It because usually people. People have that idea to where, depending on funding or something like that, they think that this person has more power or something like that. Um, is that the case or is this just something uh, us graduate students at that time really wasn't sure about? Oh, no, it's real. And I, I guess that's something I see a lot of people might see being chair of the department as a power thing. For me, it was a huge responsibility, right? It's not about using your power to advance some of your agendas. It's about trying to address some long-standing problems, do some good things, um, and try to try to get some equity. But it isn't always that. And 
um, the chair often doesn't have a lot of power because you've got a, I once saw a, a triangle, you've got the students, you've got the faculty, and then you've got your boss, the dean and the people above them, right? You're trying to please everybody. So it's, it's, it's difficult, but um, yeah, and, and like you say, people who think they've got all the grants who should decide what's what's going on. Actually, here's a funny moment that I just remembered. Um, you know, you get these people who beat their chests about being, you know, one of the big breadwinners in the department. Well, I got this annual report, and you know what? The top five breadwinners were five women. So I actually... <laughs> I shared the um, I shared the statistics with everybody. I said, you know, yeah, it was it was quite it was a good moment. <laughs> and and uh, women don't typically want, walk around beating their chest. They think, oh, thank goodness, I've got the next grant. I can support my students for a few more years and go and get on with it. Right? Yeah. No, that's a. Uh... Yeah, that that would have. I'm pretty sure that threw that person off then <laughs> when you gave us <laughs> that. <laughs> and and, and uh, when, so when when it comes to your graduate students that you had, um, how were you like implementing or even developing them, right, to have that same type of mindset that you had as a chair, wanting everybody to succeed? To be honest, I think like attracts like, right. I didn't have a whole lot of students throughout my career, actually, because I'm a crazy woman who works too hard. Right? You, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a have a relaxed life in the Taylor Research Group. So I think I, I got people who were up for that, and I think just generally too, there's a there tends not always, but there's usually some element of a personality match, right? Um. And, you know, you, you work together, you, you establish um, how things are done in the lab after the mm -hmm. solvents, you know, and, and we, you know, you set that up as a, not like a department, but people have responsibilities, they have to give back the involuntary kleptomaniac who steals everybody's clean glassware needs to be <laughs> dealt with, you know, you just, you, you just... Everyone's fair and equal, but we can't take any crap from anybody either. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and, and uh so 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 I guess um I, I wonder too, uh do you believe that it's important how how evolved should a uh I guess I'm trying to wonder from your experience being a uh someone who was over many in this case your students how how important do you think it is to actually develop um not only whatever science that they're in because that that's what we're here to do right in the, in that mm -hmm. case but outside of that those other skills do you think it's important to develop those other skills or you well, know the soft skills that they don't talk about per se absolutely it's a package deal right you can be a very good scientist but you also, on the other side of the coin, you can't be a good scientist by putting together a flashy PowerPoint presentation, right? Uh -huh. there's, there's, like you said, there's no there's no substitute for the science and the research, the results. Um, but being able to present it, being able to work well with other people in a team, um, 
I, I think um, younger faculty are more aware of that and perhaps, but, but it's a generalization, you know, um, I, I, you know, one of the things I had written down that I wanted to say is try to be a good person as well as a good scientist, right? Yeah. Um, and, and teaching those skills, whether they be preparing a professional research presentation, being able to write a, um, write a paper, being able to go out into the community and do chem demos with little kids, you know, it's, you, you should be doing all of those things if you're a good scientist, not just, not just sitting in the lab. Hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that uh, with the chem demos. That that's definitely one of my things I like. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, you do probably you think... didn't have a choice? <laughs> no, I, I didn't have that much choice. <laughs> no, it was it was a great thing that George said that many years ago. It really is, yeah. And and uh, do do you think that it's important to show that outreach to many students? Um, cause I think that sometimes as scientists, we get wrapped up in our world and we forget to tell people about, you know, what we're doing or even try to bring them in. Mm -hmm. Um, do you still, do you think that's important? And, uh, and during your time, do you think we're still doing enough? We can always do more, I think is the answer, right? <laughs> but it's so important. You're worried about what's going on at work. Um, before you were at LSU, I was the faculty advisor to the student affiliates of the American Chemical Society. And we used to go downtown for Earth Day once a year in March or April sometime and have a big tent and do chem demos. It was, it was chaotic trying to work with these undergraduates and get liquid nitrogen down to the old state capital and stuff. But you know what? You get out there and you're talking to the kids and the parents and you realize how much fun science is, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. and how much how much your average person is interested. Um, you know, there's there's a wow factor and it, it it is fun as well as hard work and, you know, being at the cutting edge of research. It's it's fun. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you because it, it, you could see in the faces of the young children who you think would have never liked science, but then you show them one thing, and then next thing you know, they want to become a scientist. It can be uh, definitely satisfying and inspirational. Um, mm -hmm. And then I guess growing up, did you always know that you were going to be in science, or was this something that you know just kind of happened later on in life? Um, I, as I, in my, in my notes I made, I said, I don't think the term STEM had been invented when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I, I, I figured this out relatively recently, like in about the last 10 years, I think I learned to be a scientist following my dad around the farm, you know, mm. whether it's a broken water pipe or an animal with a medical problem you know it's about being confronted something and using everything you've got to try to address it and fix it and um and so yeah i think um and and so but a bit like um becoming a professor it was just something that gradually solidified for me i liked i liked 
science and chemistry in particular. I was pretty good at it. Um, I had some good teachers along the way. If Mr. Cluett ever watches this, <laughs> he was a great high school teacher. You know, you hear that so often, right? But it's true. We had no lab equipment to do experiments, but he still, you know, inspired us. And we had a lot of fun and he made it challenging and interesting. When we went to college, my friend, I went, I was lab partners with the same, someone from the same school as me, which was pretty stupid because neither of us knew what a, what well, we knew what a beaker was, but not much more than that, right? But we, we were smart. We just watched everyone else and we, we did okay. <laughs> um, so it was just gradually taking it one step at a time, realizing that it was chemistry, realizing more specifically that it was organic chemistry, realizing that it was the combination of the intellect and the practical work, you know, being in a lab and working and solving problems. It's like being a professor. It just sort of snuck up on me. There wasn't an aha moment. It just realized, you sort of realized all of this, you know, oh, well, I guess this is who I am and this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and wouldn't, wouldn't do anything else, yeah. Mm, yeah, you. So you kind of, you could you could say that you found your purpose, right? And yeah, uh, and, and you were able to, because because when I feel like when you find your purpose, life just seems different. It doesn't seem the thing that seems hard isn't really hard because you want to do that to type do of it. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I had written in my notes: don't expect um, to be thanked or to earn lots of money for doing something that you think is important and that you enjoy you just got to do it right mm, mm, yeah no yeah it's a it's a god is i like how you said a god because you usually you have the you want to do something or you need to do something but at the end of the day there's things that you just got to do regardless you may um, not even enjoy some of them but you know it's got to be done and it's the right thing to do and you're someone who can do it so you just got to get on with it yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so I I I'm curious. Um I like to ask this question as far as uh here at Don't Be Scared, you know, we're always trying to preach uh being brave. Uh what is one moment in your life or career that you remember you just had to have that courage um to get through that moment? Did you have a specific moment that you could think of? Well, I had thought it was when I decided I was going to be chair of the department but then this morning I was thinking I think there is a bigger moment for me deciding to retire early right mm. because we're always you know we're always striving to achieve more the next grant the next paper the next project the next whatever and to say you know what I think I've done enough of this and there are other things that are important to me in life Mm. about going home to New Zealand, about being with my dad as he got older. Um, it's okay to say I've had enough of this or I want to change, you know. Yeah, mm. I think that was, the, that was the biggest thing because, you know, why would someone who probably sh should have kept at it for at least 10 more years, is, is that a failure? You know, what are people going to think? And I have I have actually asked some younger people who, bizarrely enough, come to me to advice sometimes. And I first said, you know, I feel like I'm letting the side down. No, no, said someone. It's You're saying it's okay to stop. Mm. You know, yeah. it's, it's, 
it's a brave thing to do, but it's also showing that you don't have to go to the grave sitting in your office, right? You can yeah, get up yeah. reasonably early and do other things that are important to you in life. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, with, with the retiring early being the most courageous moment, um, what 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 is it about academia that has that pressure on professors to feel like they have to continue this type of um, extent of output of work over a long period of time? Right. Because you, you know, you and even my advisor, you guys are kind of different from everybody else uh, retiring early in that sense, even though. Uh, are you going to say we're different? alike? <laughs> <laughs> so, it, <it's>, <laughs> so, so I'm just curious, like, um, what what is it about the culture of that? Because uh, I'm, I'm oh. still learning and I'm seeing it now, but I'm just I'm curious uh, from your experience. Um. It's it's about loving the science and the research and always wanting to do the next thing. I think that's a big driver for a lot of people. And it's also, it's not the kind of job where you can just give two weeks notice, right? You have commitments to grad students who are in the program. You, you this, it's, it's hard to find a perfect time to get out, you know? Um, and there's, I think, um, I have reflected in the last few years, I think there's a certain personality, a certain ego that comes with the job, which I don't particularly think I have. I, I, But most people are always wanting to do more, wanting more recognitions, um, publishing more papers. There's, It's kind of an insatiable um, pursuit, I think. Mm. Um, certainly for me the things that made things I, and i thought i was like that when i was younger but i think i um i had breast cancer in my mid 40s i lost my mother relatively young um and i was a long way from home so i certainly had a few um reality checks that sitting in my office i didn't want to do that until the day i died you know there, mm -hmm. i needed to get home i had other things to to do with myself yeah. yeah yeah but it's 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 self-perpetuating and i do understand it i think that was me for a long time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then those those instances in life makes you reflect on it a little bit differently mm -hmm. um, oh and um I, paper I, isn't the most important thing <laughs> <laughs> no yeah yeah no you're definitely right it's it's definitely a lot of important things out there, especially depending on what, what we value as important. Um, yes. And, and uh, so so I guess I'm curious, now that you're retired, what is life like now? Well, it's also don't expect every day to be the same and have a routine, right? I, okay. I, get, I get up, I, well, actually, I often do a lot of stuff on the computer before it gets daylight. I've always been an early bird. Um, and I still, I am Professor Emerita at LSU, which means I, I still, I have library access, I have Zoom access, um, and I do still do some professional things. Like, obviously, I still write letters for former students and, and keep in touch with all of them. That's not work. That's become friendship at this point, right? Mm -hmm. 
but um, certainly I do write letters for people. I did a, an assessment for a promotion at another institution recently. I sometimes review papers. So I do still um, do a little bit, of, little bit of chemistry. And sometimes I have to say I enjoy it. <laughs> say, oh, yeah, this is cool. I remember this. Yeah. Um, then as soon as it is daylight, I get up and check on my cows. They're obviously... Well, I would say they're like my students. I need to make sure they're all okay. But what I have also told people is that um, they're often smarter and nicer than managing faculty. <laughs> so I check out my cows. Um, I've been doing a lot of... Um, there's a, The Nakaroa stream flows through our place and um, I'm trying to do... It's called riparian planting. Um fencing it off and planting native tree species and trying to get it back to how it was once upon a time. Mm. Um, so that's that's a big new passion. And it's 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 science, right? It's more botany than chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm also um, the organic chemistry farmer has also, I have, as well as my three degrees in chemistry, I have a grow safe certificate. That means I'm allowed to buy all kinds of herbicides and sprays and Oh, um, wow. I'm really, it, all the neighbours think it's hilarious. I wander around with little spray cans, you know, selectively spraying <laughs> weeds. But it's really, I can see a difference in the pasture. So I do that. I also, um, I help other elderly. I don't have parents to look after anymore, unfortunately, but I do take care of some aunts and other family friends, you know, take them to hospital appointments make them some muffins, go and visit them and have a chat. So, yeah, I'd yeah. spend a day or two a week helping other people. You know, um, I have um, this house was built in 1894. And as I say, there's been three generations of tailors here. So let's just say there's a lot of stuff to sort through too. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's not as much fun as planting flax bushes <laughs> and trees and things. But um Slowly, slowly. Um, so yeah, those are the kinds of things I do. No, yeah, and that sounds great. This sounds like you are enjoying life, and I'd love to hear that. Um, yeah, it's good. And, I wish my dad was still here. It would be more fun doing it with him. But mm -hmm. um, my my kind of you you had asked what what are your aspirations? When I go, I would like to leave this place as a museum and a park. Oh uh, wow! Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lifetime commitment. And my sisters and my aunts think I'm crazy, but that's okay. It's giving me a sense of purpose at the moment. And you know me, it will probably happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it will happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, no, that, that's great to hear. I, I really am excited uh, for everything. Um, so uh, when, before we uh, end it, um, is there any any type of advice that you would give to a young professional um, trying to get into your career? Uh, the what, what type of advice could you give them a little little nugget about? Um, what's that? They're sort of things we've touched on along the way. I think believe in yourself. Do what do what you're passionate about. Um, be good to other people. Do what you know is right. Um, do what you enjoy. Um, well, you have to do some other stuff along the way, right, to be sure. <laughs> but 
have confidence don't be afraid sometimes you've just got to stand up and do stuff or you know you're always wondering about the next step in your career and should i stand up and be head of department and you know i was actually um interim associate dean for a while before i that delayed my early retirement too but you know don't be afraid to stand up and do stuff when you're asked it can feel daunting but it's you know you've been asked for a reason and um yeah don't be afraid i guess would be would be the advice have faith in yourself do it not just for yourself but those around you and enjoy the science because that's advice i used to give to incoming grad students you've got to pick an advisor and a project that's going to get you out of bed every morning you know when the yeah. when the science isn't going well when every experiment seems to fail you've got to really believe in what you're doing to get out of bed and set up the next experiment so mm. have faith work hard and try to be a good person along the way it isn't always a recipe for success but um i think it leads to a happy scientist mm. Mm. Um, rather than someone who's miserable and always striving for more yeah yeah. You know, it's, it's not yes. just about the science, it's about the students and the younger faculty members that you help and you know, as you say trying to get try, trying to enable other people to make contributions too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh man, I love it. I love it. That was uh that was great. That was great because I think uh especially that piece of um just enjoying what you do. Um, because that's what's ultimately going to help you get out of bed every single day. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Look no, so cows looking for food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so uh, thank you. Thank you once again. Um, thank you to Dr. Taylor, Carol Taylor. Uh, thank you for being on our podcast. And um, once again, this is our Don't Be Scared podcast. My pleasure, and it's good to see you doing well, RJ. Thank you.